My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Coming up on Money Beat, the ETF market is growing. The ETF market is evolving. Buying an ETF is actually much more complicated than it used to be. You have more options, more products, more strategies to employ. What do you need to know to make the most out of your own portfolio? Jillian Del Senor is the head of ETF distribution at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. She joins us right now. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Money Beat. And uh, all you folks out there, a lot of you folks out there interested, you know, look, if you're checking in on this podcast, you're probably interested in the markets, you're investing. Maybe you have an ETF. Maybe you're interested in an ETF. We are going to take a look today at all the hot trends, hot takes in the ETF market. Uh, we are joined this afternoon, Steve Grosser and myself, by two of our ETF reporters here, Sarah Krause. Sarah, how are you? Um, well, thanks. Thanks Good for having me. Oh, we're always happy to have you. And Chris Dietrich, who also works with us on the Money Beat blog. Chris, how are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. And our special guest, who's going to give us all the, the hot takes, <laughs> uh, Jillian Del Senor is head of ETF distribution at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Jillian, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you. And as I understand it, you, uh, you're you pretty new to J.P. Morgan, but you have a long history in the, the ETF industry. I Yeah, that's absolutely right. I started with J.P. Morgan about a year and a half ago um, to help build out the ETF uh, initiative there at J.P. Morgan, which started before I got there. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, I spent about seven years in the iShares business. Okay. So Legacy Barclays Global Investors into the transition with BlackRock. And right. Spent my time across a variety of the client businesses and sales over there. Yeah. So you've, you've been at, you know, sort of the, all the big facets of the ETF market. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, been, it's been exciting to watch it evolve. I mean, over the course of the, well, since 2009 when I entered the industry, it's been just a huge evolution of product but also usage yeah. uh, by different client types as well. So it's been fun. Hmm. You know, Jillian, as a place to start here, I'm curious – it's been interesting this year from a market perspective. We've seen money kind of roll into things like international equities and out of the U.S., which has been sort of this reversal that we've seen in recent years. Is that what you're seeing from your perspective? What are, what's sort of driving flows this year, and are you seeing it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a great question, and certainly fundamentals have changed um, in Europe in emerging markets, and we certainly have seen interest there. So if you look, um, you know, within our product suite, you know, our international ETF is certainly driving the flow that we're seeing. Um, on a more macro level across the ETF industry, we definitely have seen flows trending towards emerging markets. Europe here more recently as well. Um, what I think is really interesting, and if, if I think about the J.P. Morgan product suite specifically, is you know I talk about. Joint in the industry in 2009, back in 2009 and prior to that, and frankly up until the last couple of years, ETFs were they were pure exposures, right? You were looking for quick exposure to emerging markets or quick exposure to high yield and uh, EFA, and that certainly still exists in huge ways in the market. Clearly, we were talking earlier about can we still track sentiment, um, whether leading or leading or lagging within ETFs, and I certainly believe that that's true. But what's been interesting to watch in terms of product development, and I think this has a lot to do with the types of issuers that are entering the market, like J.P. Morgan and others, is you're seeing them move from solely exposure vehicles to strategies. 
And if you think about the the ability to use ETFs, not that they hadn't been used this way before, because they certainly have, but I think, and you're seeing this more with the rise of some of the factor-based products, strategic beta and others, more active ETFs, being used at as strategies, a core of portfolios, um, where you're not necessarily seeing some of the more active trading um, in, in some of these products as they move from more exposure to strategy-based products. And can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, for example, around the elections, whether um, whether it's in the U.S. or in, more recently in France? What, what type of sort of behavior or flow yeah. changes do you see around those political events? Absolutely. So if we go back to, it's hard to believe, but almost a year ago with, with Brexit, um, you know, I think investors knew that there was going to be volatility in markets, right? I mean, that we've we've been in a consistently low vol period for, for many years, but we've had tremendous spikes in volatility throughout the years. Um, and so what we heard anecdotally from clients, particularly if we start around Brexit and we saw it continue into the, the U.S. presidential election and then even into the French elections this past weekend, is that they didn't necessarily know what was going to happen but they anticipated volatility. And so they were trying to position around that. And you tend to see, historically, during times of volatility, ETF volumes spike because investors know they can get quick, liquid access to different types of exposures. Um, And even though I would say our ETFs aren't necessarily used as exposure vehicles, they're used more as strategies, investors were saying, I was looking for something that would help dampen the volatility. I knew what was coming. I didn't know the outcome of Brexit or that that situation or the French elections, but I knew volatility was going to be inserted into markets Mm -hmm. and as such into my portfolios. And so I want to try to position with products that will help me dampen that volatility one way or another. You know, it's an interesting point how... how, um much of the market ETF trading has become. I think many listeners might not know that on any given day, ETFs can represent a third of equity trading volume, right? Mm-hmm. Stock market trading volume, a third of that is ETFs. Yeah, about 30%. Uh, other stressful days might be like 40%. Mm-hmm. How do you see that evolving? Has that stayed relatively constant? Are you seeing sort of you know the trading pick up as well? Yeah, I think it has been consistent. I mean, that's the thirty percent stat. I feel like has has stayed consistent. But Chris, to your point, on days of of volatility, you will see it spike. And I think it's that's exciting for the ETF industry. It's exciting for investors because we've been able to democratize so many types of access. You know, if you think about back in in two thousand and three, when the first emerging markets uh, ETFs were coming on the scene, you know, who would have thought that? It was a novel concept to get liquid access to emerging markets, but back then it was. And then fast forward a couple years later, it was high yield. Now you're fast forwarding even more and you're getting into factor-based strategies. But democratizing access to investors and when times are volatile, they have the ability. That's why you do see these spikes to to express views and to get exposures to certain to certain asset classes. But let's talk a little bit about some of the criticisms of that at the same time, particularly as some of the smart beta products have yeah. developed. I mean, Rob, are not um, voice concerns that perhaps some of the momentum or other sort of really tailored strategies may result in overpricing certain mm-hmm. cross-sections of the market. Yeah. Is that a, a valid concern in your view? So I think, you know, I, I, he's, he's talked about that a lot. And I think that, that uh, investors, like I said about democratizing access, you know, factor-based investing has been around for decades, right? I think that's what gets lost oftentimes when you see certain types of exposures being put into, I call it mutual fund or ETF vehicles, is that you lose sight of the fact that these have been um, these have been accessed by institutional investors for a very, very, very long time. JP Morgan's been doing it for a very long time. Um, but what's interesting is there is certain cyclicality to factors the way there is in other asset classes, right? And why 
for those investors that are looking for these types of exposures as core to portfolios, they'd be well served to think about multi-factor, right? Because you are exposing yourself to cyclicality if you're looking at a single momentum factor or a quality factor or a low vol factor, which certainly showed itself last year. Um, But if you can think about where this is playing a role in your portfolio and do you want to be subject to cyclicality and trade it more tactically, or do you want to actually have this as a core, more strategic part of the portfolio, in which case, looking at some of the, certainly there's there's a, a number of them out there, multi-factor ETFs, where you're getting exposure to different factors that don't correlate with one another. Um, so you're not exposed to some of that as well. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more on the other side of this, more about the ETF market with Jillian Del Signor from JP Morgan. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Enjoy our podcasts? Then listen in your car. Before you start down the road, just sync your smartphone using Bluetooth or plug into the USB port. Got Apple CarPlay? Just tap on the podcast app and search for WSJ. So, the next time you're getting behind the wheel, take us along and enjoy the ride. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to Money Beat. We are in the studio today speaking with Jillian Del Senor, who is head of ETF distribution at JP Morgan Asset Management. Myself and uh, Grocer here in the studio with Sarah Krauss and Chris Dietrich. And Jillian, I want to ask you, you had mentioned before uh, in the first segment that what you've seen is this sort of shift from ETFs being this sort of passive uh, investment where you're basically mm-hmm. tracking an index right. into more being used for strategies. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of tell me what is what has been driving that shift? Where, where is that coming from? Investors or from companies offering the products? Like, well, what's behind that? Absolutely. So I think you know I always say ETF doesn't equal passive. Right? I think historically that was the way that it always was. An ETF equaled uh, passive market cap weighted index. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And as I think investor demand has changed and different asset managers with different capabilities have entered the marketplace, they've been able to leverage this incredibly efficient vehicle, right? This incredibly efficient wrapper that brings a variety of benefits to investors and package a variety of different types of exposures in that. Um, So if you think about JP Morgan's entrance into the space, we really wanted to be able to leverage what people already expect of JP Morgan, and that's our research platform. Um, Whether it's factor-based investing, active fixed income, liquidity platform, to be able to bring that to the marketplace. And so I think as the industry has evolved and the issuers have evolved, um, we've been able to really answer investor demand. You know, I think a lot of people could come to market and flood it with more market cap weighted, very inexpensive beta. I just don't know how successful that would be, right? I think we would all probably agree that another, um, you know, more of those same products probably wouldn't be as successful as the ones that are already out there. And so it's leveraging the strengths and trying to fill gaps where we think that they exist in the existing product suite. And what, like, where are those gaps today? Because I mean, yeah. as you look across the industry and you came from BlackRock, I mean, mm-hmm. there's the three sort of behemoths, BlackRock, right. Vanguard, State Street. Um, there's been a lot of sort of Me Too players coming in small and large trying to find a corner of it. What's sort of left to do and how much shakeout will there yeah. be from this point? So I think there's a couple of places that I, I like to key in on. One is fixed income, right? I think fixed income ETFs have fundamentally changed the way investors invest in fixed income. Um, you know, it, the, the illiquidity in that market and the ability to have, um, you know, 
product trading on exchange mm-hmm. uh, when the underlying market is so uh, challenging, if you will, and opaque is, is really, really fundamentally changed the fixed income landscape. What we haven't seen a lot of is factor-based or strategic beta fixed income, right? There's um, some challenges with market cap weighted ETFs on the equity front where you're seeing concentrations of risk in sectors, et cetera. You see the same thing in fixed income ETFs or fixed income debtor-weighted issuance uh, indexes. And so I think that the, the sort of the landscape is still really untapped as it relates to strategic beta fixed income. So I think that's really the next evolution that I see within fixed income space. Mm-hmm. And then I think alternatives as well. Um, you know, there, there are a variety of different, I guess, depending on how you define alternatives mm-hmm. uh, from commodities to true sort of uh, alternative beta, the hedge fund uh, or, or the alternative space, I think, is fairly untapped at the moment, too. And that's, that's where we continue to see gaps in the market. And we hear that from clients, right? We are actively engaging our clients in what they'd like to see. And those are two areas that we believe um, uh, remain uh, gaps in the industry. Do you expect to see some of the players sort of shake out over time where you just can't get up to scale? Because part of this business, part of succeeding in this business, right, is reaching a certain size where you can sort of afford to stay in the game. Absolutely. I think you've seen it already, right? You've seen a a number of different uh, acquisitions take place over the course of time. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of players out there, and I think it is a scale game Mm -hmm. to the degree you can build to that scale and survive. But um, there are plenty of smaller firms out there that uh, I would imagine you probably will continue to see uh, a lot of M&A activity within the space. Mm. And one other thing that just comes to mind as we talk about the sort of single factor exposures is it does seem that that there is a way that you could look at it where you're encouraging investors to try to time the market. And that's mm-hmm. sort of an inherently dangerous activity for the individual investor. So, you know, what what are retail investors supposed to do? What is yeah. the best way to sort of make sure that you're not um, hurting yourself right. by using um, just a, a myriad or million products of, of choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think um, number one, it's a lot about due diligence. Mm-hmm. Right. Think if you think about traditional mutual fund world, there's a lot of uh, a lot of due diligence get that gets done on active managers. Right. It's just it's part of the DNA. It's what you do. Um, and there's been a real lack of that within the ETF um, the ETF ecosystem where people look and they think, oh, it's just it's just this index. I'll just buy this index. Not understanding that even if you just get down as simply as S&P versus Russell or EFA versus FTSE, there's differences there that lead to real return differences. Um, and due diligence should be a huge part of what institutional and retail advi- uh, investors alike should be paying a lot of attention to. And so that we've really tried to put ourselves out there to try to help educate um, our clients on how to think about due diligence and what you should be paying attention to and understanding the construction of those specific indexes and specific exposures that you're gaining access to um, within these ETFs. Where, where can investors go to see that, right? I mean, a lot of these smart beta factor-based products have only existed for a year or two years. Mm-hmm. So how, how, do you, how do you know what to expect, whether one that's weighted for value or quality or low momentum, that, you know, whether to expect if the market's skyrocketing, what is this supposed to do? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question, Chris. I think leveraging issuers, right? I, obviously, there's a lot of third-party um, places you can go to to access research, whether it's ETF.com or Morningstar or any of the other um, firms out there. But I would say leverage the issuer and really dig in with the issuer to understand, you know, to your point around strategic beta, Chris, you know, it's not just about what factors do they invest in, but how do they define those factors? Um, and understanding what is what is the goal of this exposure, right? You, you talk about how do you think about the, the various single factor ETFs, 
across all the different exposures that are out there. What are you trying to achieve? You know, I was in a client meeting earlier this morning with one of my salespeople here in New York, and we were having this exact conversation. They were looking at two different ETFs, one JP Morgan, one from another provider. And we actually started the conversation by saying, what are you actually trying to achieve? Um, you know, with this exposure, because that'll help you at least get started. (laughs) And then moving from there to say, all right, is there an index methodology or is this active? Um, How do they define value? How do they define quality? Um, Leveraging the capital markets desks at these respective firms to understand how does it trade? Um, You know, that's a huge part of due diligence and understanding what's the cost of entry and exit, so to speak, above and beyond just the expense ratio. You know, um, that's certainly important considerations. Mm -hmm. And so just to move it back a little bit into what's happening in markets now, um, we talked a little bit about French elections earlier, yeah. but what are some of the trends and some of the movement towards Europe? But what are some of the other trades that you're seeing right now that are sort of more more recent? Really, I mean, that's the biggest one for, from my perspective is uh, investors looking, understanding that volatility is alive and well in markets, despite the fact that over the course of time, it's, it seemed quite low. So trying to find investments that are going to help them dampen that volatility um, and whether that's going to be within domestic markets, international markets. You know, our products at JP Morgan and I think some of the other strategic beta products are not used as tactically. And so we remain, um, we continue to see clients, I should say, with interest in U.S. product, despite the fact that, Chris, as you mentioned earlier, there has been, generally speaking, some rotation into Europe and into the international markets more broadly. Um, but I would say emerging markets, uh, international, and now more specifically Europe, has tended to, to be a big part of our conversation. While people are still continuing to anchor in U.S. markets, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches right now um, with U.S. markets continuing to perform well, more more um, sort of uh, sunshining, if you will, within emerging markets and, and, and developed markets international. So we've really been having conversations across the board. Um, investors still continue to struggle with what to do in fixed income. Um, you know, there's been real uncertainty there. There's been uncertainty there for many, many, many years. It's like the ultimate broken record as it relates to rates. Um, but we actually, I think there's been a lot of interest. And what we hear anecdotally from clients is that they're looking for active management there and oftentimes. And so the ability to have active management, as we talked about moving from pure exposures into more strategies, uh, active management within fixed income has been interesting. Um, and then finally, in, in, in sort of the realm of volatility, ways to add uncorrelated assets to the portfolio. And and that's really where the, I think the alternatives come into play. And how can they think about adding um, asset classes into the portfolio that don't really look, feel, or smell like the, what they traditionally invest in? Hey, speaking of uh, alternatives that don't look, feel, or smell like anything they're used to, do you have any take on Bitcoin ETFs? <laughs> Paul I, loves the Bitcoin I, Do you really? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I read a lot I, about Bitcoin. I don't. I, you know, I honestly don't have much of an opinion on it. I know they've, they've gone back to the well, and they're, they're trying. I, I know yeah. there's a few out there that, are, that continue to, to try to get it through. You know, look, the ETF is an amazing wrapper. Um, it's not the best wrapper for every exposure. Um, so I don't have specific knowledge of, of uh, the ins and outs of how they're trying to structure the Bitcoin. But that's just sort of as I think about the ecosystem. You know, it, it's a tremendous wrapper, but not everything belongs in that wrapper. Hmm. Where, right. are, that's a pull quote. Wrap it up. Yep. Fair yeah. That's fine. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you know, one thing I was thinking about as we were doing all this talking, I think it kind of just would be almost re-asking the same question, but, but I, I kind of feel like asking it. When, when you have a situation where, as you said, you know, people kind of have this impression of ETFs that they are the ultimate passive investment, mm-hmm. right? That you just kind of buy it and forget about it. But when you start, that's my, uh, my, my, that was my wrapper. <laughs> but when you start employing strategies in them, is how, how important is it for people to understand the difference? And how often do you see that where people kind of 
don't really understand that they're getting into something they need to be a little more active about. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, ETFs, I'm supposed to buy it and just, you know, forget about it. Up, down, the market, I don't need to worry about the Fed. I just buy it and hold it for 30 years. But, oh, wait, now you told me I'm in a strategy that I need to be paying attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, how important is that distinction for for the investor to understand? And how often do you see people coming up saying, you know, who didn't quite get grasped that? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, I think that's what really becomes so important in the relationships that you have with your clients, right, and helping them understand. And I know... Uh, we certainly pride ourselves on our relationships with financial advisors as well as institutions and in having that dialogue. If you look, if you look at the marketplace right now, and I'm gonna, um, I'll keep my comments more on the the advisor side of the market. Um, although you see this with institutions as well, is that while there are certainly investors out there that are investing only in ETFs, right? And there mm-hmm. are plenty of them. More and more, as you're starting to see the shift in usage, as I mentioned on the front end, sort of this not only development in product, but development in usage of products, you're starting to see more and more investors on on the retail side, advisor side, that are using mutual funds, using ETFs as well. They use both in a portfolio. They can live harmoniously together in a portfolio, despite the sort of age-old active versus passive debate. They could and should exist together in a portfolio and serve their own unique function. And so I think those that have historically been trained to do due diligence on other investments are poor that over into the ETF ecosystem or to the ETF world, if you will, as they're doing due diligence there. But I do think a lot of it falls on us to continue to educate as an industry. I don't mean just us right, as sure, a firm, sure. as an industry to really put ourselves out there. And there are a lot of good firms out there doing that. I mentioned earlier ETF.com and Morningstar, and I hesitate even just to mention those two because there's so many. Um, but those are two out there that you can certainly access um, for research on specific strategies. And you can slice and dice it, uh, you know, seven ways since Sunday to really figure out what it is that you're owning. Yeah. But I would just continue to say really leverage or leverage your issuers, leverage the capital markets desk as a result, because ultimately there's a lot of new products. I saw a statistic the other day that there are more ETFs in registration than there are in market currently. Wow. Marinate on that for a second. um, That was a statistic that I heard just the other day um, from a a pundit in the industry. And I think that really... You know, there, there's a lot to be said for continuing that due diligence and making sure that you're um, – when you're thinking about product development, and I can speak for us personally, um, when it comes to product development and we have some products out there that are, that are more complex uh, relative to a traditional market cap-weighted ETF, I should say, in contrast, and it's really important to engage the street from the word go, Right. Could you actually do creations and redemptions in this product? Right? Let, let's not go so far down the line right. of product development before you actually are engaging your critical partners to understand whether or not this is actually going to be a viable product. That That's kind of a crazy thing you just threw out at us. I mean, yeah. we were about to wrap up, but now that you say that, I mean, that's really yeah. – to me, that speaks to you know more competition for you down the road. But I sure. mean, does that mean that there is just going to be – you know, another huge groundswell of products out there trying to attract investor money. I mean, where does that what, what does that indicate the, the market doing in the next six months, 12 months? How many of those yeah. become ETFs? I think know? that's the bigger question, yeah, right? Is, that, that's is really interesting. You can have something in registration that may never – we just talked about Bitcoin, right? right? I mean, so there's something – you just never, ever know what's going to ultimately come to market. So while that's an eye-popping stat, the reality is who knows over the course of time – that could be over 10 years. That mm-hmm. could be half those products don't come to market. The point is there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of demand yeah. um, from clients because, again, like we talked about, I think if you think about traditional beta, a lot of those markets are saturated and a lot of those markets necessarily don't need new product. 
There are a lot of markets, though, that still do. And we talked about them earlier, whether it's alternatives, fixed income. Um, there's a lot of untapped areas um, that, that I think we hope to fill um, with really thoughtful product as we move forward into the next number of years. Right. So I would say, I mean, there's a degree of like testing the, you know, is, is all the sort of plain vanilla and sort of basic stuff taken at this point and therefore mm-hmm. providers have to go further afield? And, and it, it, do you have a, a read, maybe it's too early, on, on what a regulatory appetite is to allow that exploration mm-hmm. under this administration versus mm-hmm. the prior? You know, from a regulatory perspective, no. I mean, I think it's all still be determined with what this what this um, administration plans to do on a lot of fronts. Um, but I think the, we're still yet to see what's going to happen with some of the the non transparent active products that come to market. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of active managers out there that have that's that have a big question. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of asset managers in in the market that have significant active capability. Um, and so I think that's really the next evolution of product development too. And that's some of the registration that you, that you see out there as well is, you know, should some of this get approved um, by the SEC, that'll open up a whole new world to to issuers to to bring product to market and tap again a another part of the uh, ecosystem in terms of buyers, right? right. We're going to continue to see, along with evolution of product, evolution of, of usage. Hmm. All right. Yeah. We have been speaking with Jillian Del Senor, who is head of ETF distribution at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Jillian, really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. No, this was, it was absolutely great, really. Thanks for coming absolutely. in. Absolutely. Hope really to see you it. soon. Yeah. Right. Uh, Sarah, Chris, thank you both for coming on board, too. Thank you. And Stephen Grosser, not a lot out of you today, my friend. No, I kept a backseat. You did. For the first time ever. That's all right. That's all right. We should do more of that. I don't think I... <laughs> Dietrich, have you been muscling no, him to the side in the he studio? He has been. Did you see that? <laughs> Just jabs. I pulled the microphone over, actually, slowly <laughs> over the course of that. <laughs> Sharp elbows. Remember, I'm the boss. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. Hope you got a lot out of it, and we'll talk to you soon. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.